Uh, So we have two scripture readings for this day. The first comes to us from the book of Genesis, chapter 8, verses 1 to 12. Let us listen together for God's word for us this morning. God remembered Noah, all those alive, and all the animals with him in the ark. God sent a wind over the earth so that the waters receded. The springs of the deep sea and the skies closed up. The skies held back the rain. The waters receded gradually from the earth. After 150 days, the waters decreased. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day, the ark came to rest on the Ararat Mountains. The waters decreased gradually until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the mountain peaks appeared. After 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made. He sent out a raven, and it flew back and forth until the waters over the entire earth had dried up. Then he sent out a dove to see if the waters on all of the fertile land had subsided, but the dove found no place to set its foot. It returned to him in the ark, since waters still covered the entire earth. Noah stretched out his hand, took it, and brought it back into the ark. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out from the ark again. The dove came back to him in the evening, grasping a torn olive leaf in its beak. Then Noah knew that the waters were subsiding from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent out the dove, but it didn't come back to him again. And now from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus then appeared, arriving at the Jordan River from Galilee. He wanted John to baptize him. John objected, I'm the one who needs to be baptized, not you. But Jesus insisted, do it. God's work, putting things right all these centuries, is coming together right now in this baptism. So John did it. The moment Jesus came up out of the baptismal waters, the skies opened up and he saw God's spirit. It looked like a dove descending and landing on him, and along with the spirit of voice, this is my son, chosen and marked by my love, delight of my life. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. It was the early days of summer 2002. I had just finished my junior year of college in San Antonio and packed up my car and headed an hour north into the hill country for staff training at John Knox Ranch, the Presbyterian camp where I would be working that summer. I was a mess, like start crying at random kind of mess, like dealing with some major stuff kind of a mess. I just left the inner west side neighborhood where the church I served was located for the summer, and with it, the teens I had been living life with since the year before. My time in that neighborhood was revealing all kinds of things to me. The gift of building relationships with people who are different than you, the warmth and solidarity found in the Latino community, The miracle that happens when you build trust across lines that too often divide 
and are graced with the chance to live life together with people who are no longer strangers, but instead dear brothers and sisters. The power of love when it's shared, nurtured, cultivated between people and in community. Yet my time in that neighborhood was also revealing the consequences of poverty. What happens when people do not have enough for their most basic needs? And when systems exist that set things up for that to be so hard to change? I'd spent time studying segregation in San Antonio, which was reinforced by real estate and housing practices decades before, but now could be mapped along school district lines. Property taxes was the primary funding source for education, so where property values were higher, funding for schools poured in. In the neighborhood where I served, our tax base was abysmal, and so were the resources for our schools. Because so many of our students were living in poverty, there were extra educational needs and greater barriers to their learning. To break the cycle of poverty was an incredible feat. The youth program I had begun as a part of the church in the neighborhood was trying to provide extra supports to help youth be able to do just that. While there were so many good days, days when the mom working two jobs to put food on the table named how grateful she was that her kids had a safe and nurturing place to be after school, days when I saw youth take leadership to make their neighborhood better, days when love flourished and good news flowed. Where, while there were so many good days, there were plenty of other days where the problems, the injustices, the consequences of the way the world worked and had been shaped just seemed so overwhelming, it all felt impossible. The days that were the hardest were the days I saw the consequences of that broken reality up close as they unfolded in the life of a youth I had grown close to a young person I saw nearly every day, one of those boys who had such a tough exterior because they had to in order to make it in the neighborhood, but had let down their guard enough with me to show me the vulnerable kid underneath all that armor. The hardest days were the ones when I saw the consequences of poverty, injustice, our broken world in their eyes. When I watched them carry the weight of it all on their far too small frames. When I looked at their current reality and had no idea whether or not they would make it. Never before have I connected the presence of the dove at the end of Noah's story with the presence of the dove at Jesus's baptism. But thanks to the presence of the dove at the top of our denomination symbol, this week I did for the first time. Noah's story is a tough one. It always seems ironic to me that it is the one that most often shows up in nurseries and children's books, because when we get past all those animals walking into the ark two by two to the heart of the story, it doesn't seem like it should be children's fare. The world was so broken, 
so plagued by human sin, by our propensity to hurt one another, to create systems that perpetuate injustice, elevating the few and degrading the many. The world was such a mess that the way out of that mess was for God to send rains to flood the whole world, drowning out all that was wrong with it. The Noah story exists in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, with the stories of creation, Cain and Abel, the Tower of Babel, which many scholars deem as prehistory. Stories given to us by God, whose purpose is not so much to give us historical facts of exactly how things happened as the world began, but instead whose purpose is to reveal truths about who we are as a people, and about who God is, and about who we are in relationship to God. Noah's story has some hard truths embedded in it. But they are truths that feel very real when you find yourself in the heart of what is broken and unjust and wrong in our world. The power of our sin, the harm and hurt we can cause, the struggle to live in a world that is so marred by that brokenness, how death-dealing that can be is laid out in the story of Noah's time, but it can also be felt in the stories of our time. I was such a mess in those early weeks of the summer of 2002 because I was being confronted with that reality for maybe not the first time, but for the first time, the reality of this broken world of ours was threatening the life of someone I loved. I left the neighborhood at the beginning of that summer, unsure that one of my youth would survive the gang violence that had erupted in his home and was being waged in our streets. I was a mess because I did not know if he would live and because I did not have the power to ensure that he would. God sends the flood to drown out all that sin and all those death-dealing forces but I have to admit, those floodwaters are still hard to stomach. As they recede, first the dove comes with that olive branch, a sign that new life has emerged in the aftermath of the flood, a sign that would become a sign of peace evermore. It is as Noah worships God with a burnt offering that scripture reveals God's own internal thoughts as new life emerged. The Lord smelled the pleasing scent, scripture says. And the Lord thought to himself, I will not curse the fertile land anymore because of human beings, since the ideas of the human mind are evil from their youth. I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. The dove is followed with the symbol of a rainbow, light reflecting on those waters, to reveal a sign of God's promise, a promise God makes with us and every living thing, to never again do what had just occurred, to never again send floodwaters, a promise to never again, no matter how bad things got on earth, to never again destroy as that flood had destroyed. The fact we once again find a dove at Jesus' baptism does not seem like a mere coincidence. 
Once again, the world is in a difficult place when Jesus comes. The marks of our sin, the injustice it breeds, the systems that were meant to elevate the few and degrade the many are at work and on full display in Jesus' time. Jesus wades into the waters of the Jordan River and is baptized. And those baptismal waters are meant to remind us of those first flood waters from Noah's time. For in baptism, we are inviting God through the power of the Holy Spirit to drown out all that is in us that is death-dealing. Our sin, our propensity to hurt ourselves and one another, so that life that is new can emerge in us and in our world. Baptism is a personal thing, but it points to something so much larger. We are all individuals, but we are part of the whole. We do not exist in isolation. We belong to the earth and to one another. So when we invite those baptismal waters to drown out what is death-dealing in us, we also invite them to drown out what is death-dealing in our world. We pray for the baptized's new life, but also how their new life can be a part of what is new and right and good in the world. John didn't want to baptize Jesus because John knew Jesus didn't have anything in him that needed to be drowned out. He knew that if anyone needed baptizing as the two of them stood in that river water together, it was him. But Jesus says to him, do it. God's work, putting things right all these centuries, is coming together right now in this baptism. The dove descends on Jesus, and again we see a sign of peace. God seeking to make things right between us and God, even in the face of all the wrong we commit. The dove descends on Jesus, and we are pointed to a power that is greater than us, a love that is stronger than any death, a love that claims us and marks us, just as it did Jesus that day in the Jordan. The dove descends, and we see God's love for us, the Spirit's power to make all things new, God's desire for life, for things to be right, healed, made whole for us and for every living thing. The world of Noah's time, the world of Jesus' time, the world of that west side San Antonio, San Antonio neighborhood in the summer of 2002, the world, world we live in in this south side Olathe neighborhood 20 years later. Yet while there are sure to be some significant differences, when you get to the heart of the matter, there is also so much that is the same. There is brokenness, forces that are death-dealing, injustice, too many ways that we hurt and harm ourselves and others. Too many consequences of our sin and the systemic sin it breeds in the world. Too many consequences of this broken reality in which we live. When that brokenness erupts in the lives of the people we love, when we see it in their eyes, when we watch them have to bear the weight of more than they should have to in their two small frames, it can leave us fearful and unsure, just as it did me 20 years ago. There was a song we sang at camp that summer. 
It's the one we sang today as we prepared to hear God's word just a bit earlier in our worship. That became this balm to me as those weeks of the summer unfolded. Holy Spirit, fall on me. Holy Spirit, wash me clean. Holy Spirit, fall on me. Holy Spirit, wash me clean. Tell me how long and how wide is the love of Christ. How long and how wide is the love of Jesus Christ? How long and how wide is the love of Christ? How long and how wide is the love of Jesus Christ? Today at the age of 41, when I see people I love hit, by the brokenness of our world. When I watch them have to bear more than they should have to, when I see deep pain and fear in their eyes, I am not the mess that I was at the age of 21. For I have seen the length and the width of the love of Jesus. And y'all, it knows no bounds. It is long enough wide enough to cover our brokenness and the consequences it bears in the world. It is powerful enough to defeat any death. It is strong enough to find a way for new life to emerge every time. Like the dove that carried that olive branch in its beak to Noah, like the dove that descended from the heavens over Jesus, the Holy Spirit has told me shown me, infused within my bones just how long and just how wide the love of Christ is. And dear ones, it is long enough, it is wide enough for us all. Amen.